This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy Booksplode, the new Teen Titans, the Judas Contract. I know I got a bad reputation, and it isn't just talk, talk, talk. If I could only give you everything you know I haven't got, I couldn't have one conversation if it wasn't for the lies, lies, lies. And still I want to tell you everything. Hello, welcome to 
Hi, fanboy Booksplode, the new Teen Titans, the Judas Contract. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and I'm here with my co-host, Josh Lanigan. Hello, Connor Kilpatrick. Hello, and we're here to talk about the new Teen Titans, the Judas Contract. It's technically the new edition. It's just one of the editions. It really doesn't matter. It's an edition of the story. Right. So there'll be spoilers for the story that came out in the early 80s, if you're worried about spoilers. And this is the show, The Booksplode, brought to you by the patrons over at patreon.com slash ifanboy, who unlock The Booksplode, along with the Talksplode interview show that Josh does. And we do this show every other month. We look at a collected edition. And this month we decided we'd look at one of the seminal DC stories that Josh's never read, drawn by the legendary George Perez, who is unfortunately ill and will not be with us much longer. So we thought we would take a look at one of his most famous works. I'm curious, Josh, what you knew about this story going into it. Nothing. Zero. Nothing. I've actually You'd never heard of it. Read it. No. Never heard of the term the Judas contract. Nope. No. I was I all I was aware of was the quote unquote famous run mm-hmm. with Marv Wolfman and George Perez and that mm-hmm. it's a beloved run, that these are the same characters that are in the Teen Titans Go for the most part, and, and this is like the thing that defines Dick Grayson as Nightwing as opposed to Robin. That's pretty mm-hmm. much what I knew. And I'd never read any of it. Yeah, that's about it. This brings us up to it. And I've, Marv, Marv Wolfman has terrible sweaters. I learned that also. <laughs> this collection starts off with issue 39 of the New Teen Titans. The cover date was February 1984. And at the time, this was DC's top-selling book. So you had Wolfman and Perez doing the New Teen Titans, and you had... Claremont and John Byrne doing The Uncanny X-Men, and those are the two top-selling books at each company. Very similar ideas. Young people in big groups finding their way. Yeah. One of the downers of this collection is that you don't get the covers, because there was terrific covers, including the one that kicks off this collection, issue 39. It's one of my all-time favorite covers, featuring Dick Grayson and Wally West walking away against the stark white background, and their costumes sort of sprawled out on the floor like they just took them off and what left. I bet that I have seen those covers, but since they weren't in the book, I was not reminded of them, because that sounds familiar. Uh, I remember my friend had this issue, and I always look at the cover in his long box, because it's just such striking, the white background and uh, the costume. This, the thing about Perez is, amongst the many things he's good at, is that as a kid, he was one of the first people that got me to understand the costumes as clothing, and not that he draws them to look like clothes, and not, I, I don't think they should be drawn necessarily to look like clothes. But the idea that they are clothing. So in this first issue, we'll get to the story in a second, but I'm just giving you an example. In this first issue, both Dick Grayson and Wally West quit their identity. So Wally quits being Kid Flash and, and Dick Grayson quits being Robin. And I don't think I'd ever thought about how the Robin costume worked before I read this issue as a kid. Mm-hmm. This was before I saw Burt Ward in the 66 show, you know, to really, because you can see it there. But like the idea that it was like a green sort of like uh, unitard and then there was a shirt over it, and then it was belted closed. As a kid, it just didn't register. Like, I thought the green was the sleeve of the shirt. Like, you know, I didn't understand that this was a whole yeah. pieces. And, and Perez was really good at making it seem like a superhero costume, but still you could see how it fits together. Mm-hmm. That was one of the things he was, he was a genius at. Anyway, as we get into the story, the Judas Contract is probably the most famous Teen Titan story of all time. And it all revolves around the character of Terra who turns out to be a spy for Deathstroke, the Terminator. But what was interesting about that, and, and it's, I don't know if you read the essays in the beginning or not, but Terra had been introduced two years prior. I mean, for two years, she was just a member of the team. And in this issue, 
we find out she's been a spy this whole time. So that must have hit like a bomb. Yeah, I didn't you know? know that. I thought she was relatively new, like it only showed up a couple of issues before. Her first appearance was New Teen Titans 26. So, what, you know, is... what is that? 13 issues. Okay. So she'd on the t- been on the team for 13 issues. And then uh, it was revealed here that the whole time she'd been spying for Deathstroke, their adversary, their nemesis. And uh, we go from there. So there's a lot going on in this collection. Like I said, the big reveal is that Tara is a spy, but it doesn't really come out to the team till the very end of the story. So the whole time we know she's a spy, but they don't know she's a spy. And so that while they're going through adventures fighting against Hive and Brother Blood, in the background, you know, the whole time you have the Deathstroke monitoring them and preparing to take them out. While we learn about Deathstroke's origin, we meet his son, Jericho, who ends up joining the team. And also Dick Grayson finds his new identity as Nightwing. So this is a pretty big story for the time and for the fans of the team and characters. I'm curious. I mean, this is a very early 80s Marvel Wolfman. This is pre-crisis. I'm a big fan of his work, but it's a very Bronze Age style. How did you deal with this? What did you think reading it? What What were your initial thoughts? I did think it did not flow as smoothly and as easily as some of the contemporary Marvel stuff that we had read. I feel like I had more fun with the Captain Marvel stuff. Was that the last one we did? Yeah, Death of Captain Marvel. Death of Captain Marvel, yeah. And I think maybe part of that had to do with the fact that, like, I don't know these as well. Like, I just don't, like, I don't have a lot of emotional resonance with this stuff, you know, like I do the Marvel stuff. And Mm -hmm. as a result, I don't know, it felt a little clunky. It was good. Like, I got into it, it, but it took a while. Like, it took me, I think it took me a lot longer to sort of get into the flow of the thing that it has with some of the other books. It does the drama taking itself really seriously, but still being a silly superhero book that right. comics at this age do really well, which I like. I think it's it's kind of cool. I like the historical aspect of like reading a, a you know a group of characters and a storyline that are like a big deal in the pantheon of comics. Like this was a super successful, um, you know, big selling comic book. And I think that's cool. You know, the art is great. I did think a lot of times I was going through it, I was like, ooh, this is, uh, this is not going to pass muster today in terms of its social politics. Sure. Um, <laughs> like, like a Beast Boy would be party to numerous sexual harassment. I mean, <laughs> dozens just in this book alone. <laughs> yeah. You know, but at the same time, for the most part, I felt that the female characters were really pretty well-rounded and not secondary. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, you had Beast Boy objectifying, and there were other characters objectifying women all over the place, left and right. But the women who were part of the group were kind of like equals in that way. The most powerful members of the group are Starfire and Wonder Girl. And Terra. I mean, Terra's like yeah. huge, amazing powers. Yeah. You know, the other side of that, I would say, is I think it was really interesting, and this will be the spoilery part, I guess, is yeah. that... The whole time you are thinking, well, I don't know how this ends. I'm not familiar with the story. And I thought, well, any normal superhero story, any comic book is going to have them redeem her at the last minute and she saves them. Darth Vader, Return of the Jedi style. And it didn't. And it was just like, nope, she was full of hate and she died. (laughs) And I was like, all right, you went all the way through it. There was no redemption. There was no secondary side to her. There was no explanation. There was no abuse. She just hated everybody and was evil and mean. She was almost worse than Deathstroke. 
Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. She was worse than Deathstroke because even he was like, I was just using her for some shit, but she's she's wrong. <laughs> I mean, like the what are they? What's the cult? Hive. Hive. Like yeah. they kind of weren't anything. Like I, mean, right. I don't know if there's another story, but like Brother Blood and the Hive, it, like it was very like GI Joe the animated series, sort of like oh here's a cult of people in hoods. But then there's a there's a bit. Just they're in the hive headquarters and Jericho, which I want to come back to, yeah, takes over one of them or they're listening to him and he just talks like some new New York City douchebag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, Really? That's how you're gonna and I thought that was really funny. Yeah. That was great. The thug. I don't actually know a heck of a lot about Deathstroke. I think he's a really cool character and he shows up and stuff, but this like whole origin of Deathstroke I thought was really interesting. Yes. Never read it. Again, I don't know it. The sort of explanations of, of where he comes from and how he came to be and his amazing manservant slash best friends as Wookiee life debt partner Wintergreen. <laughs> and then and then further, like I have seen Jericho in stuff. Yeah. Or at least referred to, and I had no idea who the fuck that was. And that was such a goddamn unique character in every way. Yes. Like I was like, I didn't know what to make him. He doesn't look like anything. He's of a time completely, but he's got this kind of interesting power, and I didn't know which way it was going to go, because Dick Grayson's like, I don't know what it is, but I trust him. And I was like, what's that going to mean? <laughs> but he's just, like, he's just like, a, like, a, like a mute Harry Nilsson just hanging out yeah, there. <laughs> for a young guy, he's got some serious mutton chops. Yes, he does. The collection itself is interesting because there's no way you can. I mean, you could. I have. I've got the Teen Titans omnibuses, but like, this is almost like dropping you into the like the beginning of the third act of a story that's been going on for two years, right? So you don't mm-hmm. get if you're just coming into this cold, you don't get the two year buildup of this person being on the team. You're really just sort of getting the character turn here. I don't feel like I lost a whole lot in that because we've talked about this a ton over the years. Is that in this era of comic books, you could pick it up yeah. and read it whenever. Yeah. And I felt like, oh, okay, cool. Here we go. That part I was fine with. I know what you mean, but uh, you know I, I can put it in context so I sure. sort of understand the significance. The interesting thing about Deathstroke is, you know, when I was a kid reading these books, and in this collection, he's called the Terminator. Yeah, right. He's called Deathstroke the Terminator, but mostly he's just referred to as the Terminator. You know, they they clearly call him the Terminator, the Titans. And so then, in the '90s, when he had a solo book, it was called Deathstroke the Terminator, and then they just sort of. I think because of legal reasons with the Terminator movies, mm-hmm. they just cleaved off the end, and he just became Deathstroke. So, like, his name is Deathstroke the Terminator in this book, but no one called him that. They called him the Terminator. Yeah. And my whole childhood, he was the Terminator. Hmm. It was, like, the only time I can think of where they successfully sort of changed the name of the character organically, and no one seemed to notice or be bothered by it. Well, Deathstroke's a better name. It is, but it's just funny because for for like 10 years, he was a Terminator as a kid. The movies ruined it. This whole era of comics is, you know, steeped in the shadow of Vietnam. Yeah. And so you get a great Vietnam-related origin for Terminator here. And it makes him interesting. The wife character is interesting and his sons, his other son who, Joseph is Jericho, right? And the other son is Grant. The Ravager. was Ravager. He got killed. And then Joseph is his mother's son, so he turns against his father. He's good. He becomes an integral member of the team later on. This is the classic. I love the original team. This team here is sort of like the uncanny X-Men, right? You had the original X-Men who were yeah. like, you know, the five of them. And then when uncanny X-Men happened, a couple of the original members joined, but most of those new people, this is the same thing. So you had Robin, Wonder Girl, and Kid Flash were 
from the original team on this new team. Kid Flash ended up leaving. But you still have two legacy members. But then you have all these interesting new, more varied characters on the team. Varying ages. You know, Nightwing and Wonder Girl are about 19 here. And I would say Cyborg and Starfire are about the same age. But, you know, Changeling, who was called here, was younger. Terra was like 16. It's hard to tell with Raven. She's with those severe, <laughs> severe cheekbones. She looked like she was 45. Well, it's funny because I and I I hate to say it, but like I'm much more familiar with Teen Titans Go because it was sure. playing on a loop in the back of my house for a while. And so I don't really know. I mean, I know um, Nick Grayson obviously mm-hmm. very well, but sort of the other characters, specifically Raven, is not a character yep. I've actually read in a lot of actual comic books or even Changeling, Beast Boy, Gar, Logan. They call him right. a lot of things. He has a yes. lot of names in this, and it's tough to keep track of. He was Beast Boy when he was when he originally showed up, and they changed him to Changeling here, but whatever. He's Beast Gar Boy. Logan. Let him be there. Yeah. You know, so I was kind of interested, and in, in his characterization was sort of what I would have expected. Raven, Raven needs to keep the hood on, because there's a severe problem with that hairline, <laughs> yeah. and it's... Uh, the first time she showed up with her hood off, I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> you know, it's Starfire. Starfire, I'm familiar with. I've read her in books. She's always yeah. been sort of this thing. The one thing that I was curious about was was Cyborg, because when yeah. I was a kid, I never liked Cyborg, and yeah. it was because I find his, I found his outfit off-putting, and he had no personality that I could, and that was sort of the problem. Even if you watch like the Justice League movie, yeah. edit, whatever, he had, it wasn't interesting. He had no character other than poor me, but he's not poor me in this. He was just sort of blank. And there were bits where he had a little bit of personality. But again, what's what's funny is that if I look at Teen Titans Go, he's super fun in that show. You yeah. know, like it's a whole like they just they made a decision. But here I just didn't really know where he's coming from. It was nice to be with a cyborg who is actually a cyborg and not just the full on robot that he is now in the DCU yeah. where he's you know, in this one he's got the little tiny cyborg booty shorts. But like he's got he's got human body parts because he's a cyborg, not a robot. Right. But in the current version, ever since New 52, he's been human face, everything else robot, and it's just a different And it's character. like he's got no no emo- human emotion at all. Like yeah. It's like, like less human than the vision. It's a good mix. They found yeah. that alchemy that the X-Men found, and that's why they're both the most popular books at the time, of character types, personality types, legacy characters plus new characters. It was a nice mix. Plus you had you know, Wolfman, who he would go on to change the whole DC universe with the Crisis and Affairs with George Perez. And then you got a guy in Perez who... You know, he's doing this monthly. It's quite a lot. These pages are packed, not just with detail, but panels and backgrounds. And it's just, this is a lot on a monthly basis. I'm flipping through, and if you look at, if you went to page 154 of the digital reader uh-huh. um, on your on your Kindle app now, it's uh, 80% in. And yep. basically, all of the Titans have been put on this torture device. Yeah. You know, that, and every sort of part of it is holding the Titans in a different way to keep them under wraps. It's a big old Kirby machine. Yeah. You know, it's even got Kirby dots in the middle of it. And it's just so, like, you would never see this in a comic book today. You just no, wouldn't and couldn't. And the other side of it is, is when you read this, I don't think that looks so silly. I think that looks perfect. <laughs> you know, and all the little bits of, like, like all the regular people stuff is also really interesting. You know, all the stuff mm. with Wintergreen is telling his story. There's all these flashbacks in this book that are, I think, the best parts of the whole thing. You know, mm. Slade's story with his wife and then the flashback with Wintergreen and then, you know, it's all that just great stuff. But his, I, I think his, his human faces are some of my favorite in comics. Yeah. You know, the way that Tara looks 
is that she actually has a look. She has a particular face. Also, she's a 16-year-old smoking through the whole thing and trying desperately to sleep with the old man. She has been sleeping with the old man. Is she? Yeah. I thought it was just she wanted... Okay, well, there you go. Well, I assume so from this. Mm-hmm. And the first time we see her, she's in like lingerie sitting in his bedroom. Yeah. I always feel like he was like, sure thing, and then never got around to it. But maybe that's just because I thought, well, there's no way they would do that in a comic book. <laughs> Meant for children time. in the 80s. Exactly. But yeah, no, everyone has a face. Yes. Tara's got sort of buck teeth because she's a young kid, and Dick has his own face, and Slade's got his own look, and everyone is immediately identifiable. If I have any criticism of Perez's art, is that, you know me, I love comic book pirate boots. He's got to tone down the Terminator boots a little. Those are going to get in the way. The top rough is far too long. They're awesome. <laughs> they billow. Lean into it. <laughs> Why not? You just get a big old action story while this mystery unfolds, and then at the end, you know, Dick Grayson and Jericho help save the day, and Dick is now Nightwing, and he's got that awesome 70s Nightwing outfit. It's not the 70s anymore, but it's got the big collar with the deep V. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I've read this before, but it's been a while since I've read this. I haven't read it probably in well over a decade. There's just something about the way that Wolfman writes these characters and Perez draws them that makes them really compelling. You know, you've got to find that right mix of teen angst and overlapping storylines. So many things are happening at once. Like now, you basically get one storyline. And if you're lucky, you get a subplot or a B plot. But it isn't like the old days where the B plot would then become the A plot after the arc was over. It's very sort of um, station to station, as we say in baseball. You know, like it's story to story to story. Here, you know, here it was all about weaving A, B, C. A ends, B becomes A, C becomes B, and then a new C plot comes in. Like It, it was just a constant motion mm-hmm. yeah. that kept you reading from month to month. It's just a different way to tell stories. But it did seem like it. You know, there was a long-term plan. It didn't feel like... Yeah, for sure. You know, It didn't feel like they were just flinging stuff at it, each issue, and hoping it would get somewhere. They were, there was a direction. There was a, you know, a long Well, they had term. to. I mean, they had to know what Terror was all about when they introduced her two years prior. Sure. But, it, you know, they took their time with it, though. And speaking of creepy 80s things that wouldn't fly now. So there's a little bit in here with they're planning Donna's wedding. Her character was 19 and was marrying her 29-year-old college professor who was modeled after the writer himself. I mean, it was not terribly mature about male-female relations, even in the context of the time. You know what I mean? It was a little like, oh, this is... This is kind of juvenile, which if you were juvenile in 1980-whatever, it totally would have been appealing. I would have thought this was great if I had read it at the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. That's how you do talk to women. That's so cool. <laughs> like, they like it when you constantly talk about their boobs. It's so stark to go back and then read this stuff and be like, God, no wonder they're mad at us. <laughs> well, the other thing is the main culprit of this is Gar. Yeah. And he's supposed to be immature and annoying. Right. And also, like, he's overconfident, a loser. He's not getting any of the women. So, like, right. that's he's, his sort of. He's not meant to be it. charming. He's meant to be annoying and won't shut up and right. stop sexualizing everything. Mm-hmm. They kind of ignore him because they're probably so used to it. But it's almost, it wasn't like it was Dick Grayson being like, hey, nice rack. It was. True. It was the annoying character. So, there's, in that sense, and that was the staple of the 80s, right? Every. Sure. Every 80s every, movie yeah. had, a, had the annoying character who was oversexed and. Right, and would do the thing where he bites his fist. <laughs> I mean, I do that now. Is that weird? 
I mean, it's it's expected. You grew up when you did. <laughs> I have a poster of Lenny and Squiggy on my wall. It just stands out so much because you don't do that anymore. Right. Even if the character was a buffoon, you don't do that. And I get why. I'm not even complaining. Like, it's still objectifying. Yep. In a way that that's, makes it feel like the comic book is only for dudes, which it was. You know, right. not by design, but that's how it was. You know, so, you know, it's like anything from 40 years ago or 30 years ago. You'd read it in three different ways. You know, one is, what does it say about the time that it was written? Two, like, what is valuable about this in a way that I can still appreciate, you know? And uh, mm-hmm. there's probably some others. But I like that. I like that, I mean, you don't want to throw out your baby with your bathwater or whatever. Like, it could be both things. You know, like, there's enough here that's like, wow, this is great. You know, this is, I don't even want to say ahead of its time because, you know, they did make good things then that were good at the time and can be good now. But there's definitely things in here that are like, oh, this is comic books. Like, this is the type of comic book that you and I would have first read. This is where, it would, this is what it Oh, yeah, for sure. I read a lot of these books. I mean, I didn't, 84 was slightly too early. You know, I was reading G.I. Joe and other things like that. Right, but these would have been around. Like, you were, oh, for like, sure. They I were, ended yeah. up with comics because comics were around in places. So it wouldn't have been weird that I would have picked up an issue from 1984 and read it, you know, like three, four, five years later. Oh, I definitely like had. That happened. The New Teen Titans issues. I just didn't have right. this particular storyline. This was one of those storylines where it was, you know, in in the years before everything was collected and or you could get things digitally, you had the back issue type. Like, it took me years to finally read the Crisis at Infinite Earths because it took me years to get the issues from comic stores. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I would hear about this really important story, the Judas Contract, you know, from friends or from, like, whatever in the issue. Like, it wasn't internet, obviously, or anything to teach you, but... You hear about this mythical story, and it was like, how do you find these issues? How do I even know what numbers they are, you know? Mm-hmm. Did you ever buy comics from, like, the mail-order sites in the books? I think American Comics was one of them. No, because I had so many comic stores okay. in walking distance in my apartment in Manhattan that I just went to those stores. This won't surprise you as a person who loves getting stuff delivered to his house to this day. <laughs> I loved mail-ordering stuff. Like, I, it was yeah, the yeah. coolest thing. Like, it was just... It was such a cool process, and, and like it, it was that everything was there. They would put like a list of books in the comic. I mean, it's a terrible ad, but at the time there was no internet, and it would just say Thor, you know, three eighty seven through three ninety five, right. and they would skip a couple. It'd be like three ninety seven through. Like, well, what about those two? How come you can't get those? And you know, you just order that, and I'd have to find somebody to write me a check, you know, and I'd give them like piles of change. You right. know, and they, they'd send them along later, and and I never bought like storylines. I bought. That cover looks awesome. What's that about? Strangely enough, I mean, again, I wasn't reading back then. I'm looking through these issues online, and they swapped from the new Teen Titans to Tales of the Teen Titans. The title changed, but the numbering didn't, just the title. That's so weird. Can you imagine numbering not changing? <laughs> but you couldn't find these issues in back issue bins. And if, they, if you did, they were like, they were like 10 bucks. And as, a, as an eight-year-old, forget that. Yeah, yeah. You know? So it took, that's why it took me forever to get in Crisis, because those, like, the, the big, like, issue eight where, where Barry on dies, that, that took me years to save for that issue. So that was kind of the, the fun of it, was excavating these, these stories. I just, I'm looking at these, from a technical standpoint, I loved when it would switch to the hidden camera in her eye lens, so you get, like, the, the feeling of a grainy Terminator video thing. being shot. Yeah. There was just a lot of great production stuff that was probably very cool at the time. You know, black and white. and I was hit by a couple of things is that 
one, it's really amazing to think about how kind of prolific George Perez was. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, this is 80-whatever. I don't know when he sort of started doing comics. But he was steadily doing a lot of very good and very significant, quote-unquote, important comics, you know, right. for 20 years after this. You know, yeah. and it was constant. And, and like you said, like... He would still be doing it if he wasn't if he wasn't ill. Oh, 100%. You know, and his his layouts do not... You know, every time Tara used his powers, I was like, this is amazing. Or her yeah. powers, I mean. Just the way that he would depict that. This is a book with a lot of characters in it, and he's not skimping. Like, the no. characters are on every page, and they're distinct, and they're drawing their way through it. I think Perez might be the only person I can think of who is pretty good at using a left-hand panel stack. There's a bunch of times <laughs> where he used up the whole left side of the page, and it worked. And I was like, all right, well, it's possible. It's not frequent that people can do it, but he's well, he all, it. It takes an all-time great to do it. Like, so he yeah. started exactly 10 years earlier. This was basically his 10th year in comics. Jesus. And he was, uh, he was 30 years old. He has a thing where he'll put in a lot of narrow panels vertically. Mm-hmm. Which we saw in another book's blood. In the yes. Avengers Forever book, yep, and 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 you'll see, and then also a lot of just very narrow panels is a way to get like a page with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, you know, ten, twelve panels on a page. It's a yeah. lot, and it, it's one thing to be like, well, how, you know, how does he get this much done? And you know, he had anchors and colors, so he was just penciling it. I don't know how tight his pencils were. The process was different then. Then I start thinking about that. I was like, oh shit, this was pencils, and then that piece of paper. You yeah. had to be sent to a person to yeah. ink it. Then that piece of paper had to go and have a colorist do it. I still don't understand how coloring worked back then. Just <laughs> point that out. It's magic. I know they didn't color on the board. It didn't work that way. No, no, no. I don't know how they did it. There's color separators. That are, it's You know, it's a thing that I should learn more about because I, I want to know and I don't understand. And then it would come back and then they would letter on the board. Like, so... All of these letters, there's four letters on this. Todd Klein is one of them. I don't think I recognize the other names. Somewhere these pages, and there are, the pages are probably all worth thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, those word balloons have been written out, cut out, and pasted on the board. Yep. And they came out. They were actually 22 pages. I don't know if not more, but, I, you know, the books were, what were these, a quarter, 50 cents when they came out? Uh, let's see. Uh, the first issue, well, one of these issues was, I think, 75 cents. Yeah, 75 cents. 75 cents. That's a lot of work going into a thing that don't cost much. Right. You know, and they had to sell a lot to make that happen, and that's the difference. But there's such works of art that, you know, were not appreciated in their time necessarily, at least not by a lot of people. For sure. I'm looking at this credits page, and I recognize, I mean, some of them are really famous, but I recognize every inker's name on here. Yeah. Yeah, Dick Giordano, obviously. He oh. was very Mike DiCarlo, Romeo Tangal, one of my favorite names as a kid. And then George Perez. So those are the inkers. So he did ink some of it. Yeah. So but I mean the thing is at least three of those people are fucking legends. Yes. Romeo Tangal, now I recognize that name from Tom versus the JLA or whatever, whichever one it was. Yeah. I can hear Tom saying that out loud. You know, but Mike DiCarlo, Dick Giordano, obviously. And Dick Giordano, like, obviously, yeah. Legend both as an editor. He was in charge of DC for a while, and then yeah. also is just an amazing inker who worked on beautiful work all over the place. There was people who were just inkers. We don't even have that anymore. Look, there's a couple. Mike of DiCarlo, them. he also inked Batman Death in the Family. Like He was a name that was in a lot of yeah. Yeah, DC yeah. books, especially Batman stuff. KG Beast, 
but he he was a big DC inker. All those na- all of those inkers were huge names in the business. Go to page twenty nine. It's an epilogue page in the first chapter. So it's basically the epilogue of the first issue. Yeah. And nobody's standing around in costumes. You've got this kind of cool shot of their their whatever this weird. <laughs> Floating raft is. Yeah, they had, they had a little floor. raft that took them out to their island, which was rough. Which is ridiculous. Not even a guardrail on the raft. You just, you couldn't be unsteady. They don't have momentum or tides then. <laughs> it was a motorized thing, but it was just like yeah, no know, even but, a handrail. I know, but as soon as it goes, you would fall over. <laughs> like they're, they're <laughs> yeah. all standing up. You, do, you wouldn't stand like that on the subway. That's why there's no. handholds. <laughs> no. But if you look at this page, there's no superheroes in it. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven panels. You know, you've got these beautiful cityscapes at night. The Teen Towers, tight. You know, is it's it's framed by the moon. Everybody's wearing street clothes. He's not using costumes. Yep. And like the last panel is this. I mean, what he does just on the bottom of these panels on the docks is like somebody drives away. There's couple close faces, then there's a wide shot, which is in blank space, and then there's a shot of a car driving away out an alley in a space that is so small, he should not be able to depict that. And then mm-hmm. the last panel is Starfire sort of hanging over Dick's shoulders. He's, he's you know, casual with his hands in his pockets, and it's just incredibly naturalistic. And all of the time, he's getting away with it by drawing a, a woman whose hair is ridiculous, and we don't even notice it. It's just so lived in. The body language is just amazing. Yeah. That is a pose, you know, the girlfriend puts her head on the shoulder of her boyfriend with her arms wrapped around his neck because they're both sad. And the clothes, the the faces, the facial expressions, the body language, mm-hmm. he was so far ahead of everybody else, most everybody else at the time. There's this real combina- combination of sensational and natural all at the same time, overdramatic and realistic. He did all those things. God, there's a shot. Page 39, just 10 pages later, there's a shot at the inside of a TV studio. And, you know, it's the middle of the page. It's maybe a third of the whole page. He drew an entire studio audience <laughs> and multiple cameras and a cue card person yeah. and desks. It's insane. I, I yeah. can't. And then at the same time, like, you know, some of the costumes, super silly. The Brother Blood <laughs> But the whole brother blood <laughs> thing is ridiculous. Yeah, he's got the dumbest costume. Everybody's treating. I like him how they're like taking him super priest. seriously, like in the media yes. here. It's like this guy's got horns on his helmet. His name his is Brother teeth. Blood. <laughs> what more do you need? He has to debate the Titans on this news show, and all the old people are like, "I agree with Blood. I say we all do." <laughs> <laughs> it's like you can't win for losing in this world. One thing that Perez was very, very good at, this is all throughout his career, and I remember specifically all that shot of Starfire hanging on Dick is one shot like that. But I remember in the books, like in the beginning of Infinity Gauntlet, was using shadow. Mm-hmm. He was very, very good at placing characters for dramatic moments in deep shadows and really was playing with the light and seeing how the light would actually hit their faces. And he was very, very good at those things. He put a lot of thought and care and, and crazy detail into these books. And I'm sure the inkers definitely deserve a lot of credit as well. You're right about that, and the detail is one thing, but it's really easy to look at comic book pages from this time and go, oh, look at all the detail, and that's true. But I think that if you actually... What's more impressive to me is the, the opposite of that is that it exists in the same place as this sort of wonderful just character cartooning. Yeah, oh, absolutely. That's the thing that... Like, the detail's fine. And that, that's, I love really his cool Slade face. Slade has such a great, yeah. unique face. Yeah. And then every once in a while you get hit with a nice splash page action shot. Like the beginning opens with this incredible two-page 
action sequence with the whole team attacking whatever hapless morons. It's just great. He just can, you know? he could kind of do it all. It's like he's the, the synthesis of all of these people that came before him. He's got Kirby in there, and he's got Neil Adams in there, and he's got John Byrne in there. And, you know, not any one of those things... It's almost like he's not amazing at any of them, but the the sum total combination of all those things is something nobody else could do. Yeah. Maybe John Byrne. If you go back to it, so he had Byrne was doing X-Men and he was doing this yeah. one. So he had the two top books being drawn by the two top guys at the time. However, historically speaking, Perez is beloved <laughs> and has been all along, even before you know the the announcement that he's you know in late stage cancer, and he's it's very strange. I don't I can't think of another time where like he's not going to live, right? You know, but he's still alive, and people are you know talking about him. It's it's like as if he's already died, but he hasn't because he's sort of on this like yeah, it's hard on like a farewell tour, uh, not really, but it's very strange, you know. But he's so beloved, like nobody ever had a bad thing to say about him. Well, you know, I've met him a couple times at conventions and like as, as a mm-hmm. younger kid, not in our later life, but yeah, he came across as someone who genuinely loved every yes. minute of it. Yeah, really happy. Yeah, that's I. I think of him as really happy. And he had his bad. I'm sure he had his bad days where he sure. like, I can't draw this fucking page one more time. But you know, when you're someone like us, we've we've met a lot of people who make the comics. So we've interviewed a lot of the people who make the comics. We've had drinks with a lot of people who make the comics. Some of them are just like annoyed. You know, it's yes. almost like they just don't want to be a comic creator. You never got that feeling from Perez. In fact, he yeah. just wanted to do more and more and bigger and bolder. And he did. He kept doing comics. I mean, yeah. like, he, he still showed up. John Byrne, maybe his legacy hasn't aged so well. <laughs> I mean, his art is, is still speaks for itself. He, he just sabotages I, I know. Well, I know that. I'm saying when you talk about, when you want to yeah. talk about, like, the... Like the total package of a, like, I can, yeah. I can even, I can really like this and I can respect the man a lot. Yeah. It's a double whammy. It's just taking yeah. the way. There's, there's not a John Byrne page out there that doesn't have something beautiful in it. Don't get yeah. me. That's not true. There's not a John Byrne page before the year 1997 that doesn't have something right. beautiful in it. <laughs> Even then. I, I'm always thinking of the, there was the Spider-Man chapter one. The Spider-Man which came book, out yeah. when we were in college. Soured and, you. Yep. And, but I was so looking forward to it. I know. And we all were. It was just terrible. But I do wonder, if I were to go back and read that now... Write this down. You know, like, how would you feel about it? Because at the right. time, you know, what were we into? I remember being one of the first books that when I came back to comics, I was really disappointed by. Because what I saw was Spider-Man Origin and John Byrne. This is going to be great. But I'm coming at it with a 20-year-old sensibility of wanting comics to be serious and whatever. Maybe if I read it now, I'd be like, no, this is fucking brilliant. And I just couldn't Maybe. appreciate it then. I don't know. All I know is when I was in high school, Perez and Byrne were my two top guys. Like, everyone else... I read the X-Men, but my friends were all super in X-Men, so for them, it was all about Jim Lee. And I liked Jim Lee then and now, but I had my notebook in high school had a little sleeve, so I put the promotional Infinity Gauntlet image in it. Like, I was a Burn Perez guy growing up. Yeah. And my friends were, you know, Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld guys. It's just So this is always the art that's appealed to me. And one of those is age better than the other. We didn't go in really granular detail in the story, but it's it's a fun adventure romp in the best possible overwrought 80s way. Like the perfect melodrama appropriate for the time. And you were totally right. The ending is not what you would expect it to be. No. And gives it more power in that way. 
Yeah, and I think that that's the. It's really you know everybody you know every story has a cliche at ending that you go with, and most do that, and most comics can get away with doing that. And here they did the opposite, which tells me that they're making choices and thinking about what they mean and like what we want to do with it, as opposed to just being rote. And that's there's there's, there's a lot to be said about that. And the whole time, you know, the characters, the cyborg, and especially. Changeling, they're like, no, no, she's good inside. We can find the good in her. Nope. Yeah, and you're you're just expecting. Okay, they're gonna look later this shit. Nope. And you know what? She hasn't really ever really come back. I was wondering about that. She came back in one of those. I think it was. Um, you know, all the dead characters came back. It was a brightest day, blackest night. I, I don't remember. But for the most part, like they've had flashback stuff, but she's never been like resurrected in a real way. Obviously, it all changed in the New Fifty Two. But I'm talking about the old sure. continuity. The Jericho costume makes no sense. No, it's terrible. But it's terrible in a great... <laughs> yeah, no, in, in the great way. But it's just like, why are you... Your, your dad is like the Terminator and everybody... You see what everybody else looks like? Because he's more 80s. like the star child. You know, his yeah, uh, Ravager's whole... costume was exactly Terminator's costume. Same costume. He's got he's got a whole Ren fair thing going on. It's just from out of nowhere. He's a hippie, man. He's got the chops. He's got the flowy... <laughs> flowy uh, hippie town. Puffy shirt and a scarf. The Deathstroke costume is great. It's one of the all-time great costumes. Yeah, it is. It really is. There's a bit here at the near the end where Nightwing and, and Jericho are, are infiltrating, and Nightwing has like a hood. And yeah. I was wondering, was that like part of his costume? It was like no. a hood with goggles. Was that a thing that was supposed to be part of his costume at this early, um, interesting. early phase? Because I was like, I'd never seen that. Yeah, you're right, because it's sort of attached to his thing. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think I ever saw that again on him. Good. <laughs> and he pulls a full-on, <laughs> like, technology-fused gas mask out of somewhere. He's not, he's yeah, not he's like, a, he's never a utility belt. He's no pouches. There's people who have pouches. He has Tara little has pockets in his pouches. wristbands, but those hold, like, smoke bombs. But that wouldn't right. hold his full-on gas mask. I mean, that hood has to be built into the collar. Oh, the structure in that hood. I mean, I, you know, just from watching on the Project yeah. Runway, I mean... That, does that thing, for that thing to hold up, he's got to have, like, metal rods in the end. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great costume. I mean, it's totally of the age, and he would look silly in it now. But as a thing to move on to from Robin, mm-hmm. and at the time, like, it's it's great. Like, it's it was easy to accept for some reason. I mean, You know, we talk on, we've talked on the show several times about this Dick Grayson, Clark Kent relationship. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's there from the beginning. Nightwing is a Kryptonian character from Myth. Which James Robinson brought back in when he was writing, I want to say, action comics. Right, but that's even that's here from the beginning. It's yeah, it's no, something he got from Clark, and so his whole identity as an adult is from his friendship with Clark Kent. I always like that bit. Yeah, I do too. So ratings on ratings the new Teen Titans, the Judas Contract, the new edition. For people who think that ratings are reductive and sometimes not terribly useful, you're not wrong. <laughs> but we, here we are. We're gonna do it. But you're not wrong. You know. Um, oh, by the way, I, wait. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, before you, there's one thing yeah. I do want to point out. Is, is the end is that they don't tell anyone that Terra was evil, right? Because her brother is also a hero, Geoforce. I know, but that's that was also a really interesting choice. Yeah, which leaves open all these other sort of possibilities or whatever. That's crazy. I did not expect that choice. I'm gonna yeah. go. F- Four point four. I was just gonna go a solid four. Four point four five. Yeah. 
It's very good. There's a lot going on here. There's a lot of story. Not all of it's great, but there is really great stuff in here. My take is that I wouldn't consider it a must-read. I wouldn't be like, if you want to know comics history, you have to read this. But I do think you have to read something a lot like this Mm -hmm. with these people. You have to read some George Perez. You might as well read this. you You know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't necessarily have to be this, but it's a fine choice. Although I think if you want to understand, I mean, again, this book pretty much represents DC in the 80s. This was yeah. the most popular book going. Um, it's not a bad That's choice. True. So there you go. The New Teen Titans, the Judas Contract, new edition. We enjoyed it. It was fun. And George Perez is a legend. And everyone should go out and read something that he did because there's always something really fantastic in what he did. Yep, Absolutely. But that's the Books Blood Show. Every week, Josh and I have our Pick of the Week show, which we talk about the new releases of the week. We also have Josh's Talks Blood Show, which is the sister show to this show. We alternate months on that with this one. Those shows are all unlocked by the patrons at patreon.com slash ifanboy. And uh, we'll be back in two months with another Books Blood. I'm not sure what it's going to be yet, but we have a whole list here, including Spider-Man, whatever the book was called. Chapter one? I think that is what it was called. Until then, we'll be back next time. I am Connor. I'm Josh. I don't think I can bring myself to pay for that. <laughs> it's still too raw.